one. Welcome back, my Faithfully Led tribe. It is I, your Faithfully Led host, Sean Romero, coming back with another outstanding episode for you, my Faithfully Led tribe. But before we get into today's guest, what I want you guys to do, please go ahead and hit the like and subscribe button, especially on iTunes, and leave a comment and rating because you know, you just never know who needs to hear this message. And when you do that, it really does change everything. And it might just pop up on somebody who really needs to hear what this person has to say. My next guest is my friend, Kevin Harris. Now, Kevin, he's the president of Radical Mentoring, an international small group mentoring process to help church pastors engage men, build a core group of leaders. And you know, guys, you know, I'm all about leadership. You know about I'm all about mentoring and all that good stuff and transforming. And they want to transform their churches, which is something I truly, truly do believe in. Kevin is passionate about being a resource for church leaders and have incorporated small group mentoring into their disciple-making strategy. And with his wife, Susan, they live in Atlanta, and with their two sons, they are just phenomenal people, not only in their community, but for the Christian community as well. So with that, any further ado, my man Kevin, welcome to the show. Sean, I am sorry that that bio is so stale and lame. You made me sound really <laughs> intriguing with that international man of discipleship mystery thing you just said. I'm impressed. That's awesome. Well, you know, I like to spice it up, man. You know, got to give it a little something to the audience because, yeah. you know, they're going to be like, hey, Kevin, you know, it's kind of like Kevin you know, Wayne's disciple. World. <laughs> yeah, I love it. You know, Wayne's World, you know, they're like, you know, Delaware, welcome yeah. Delaware, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, give it a little spicy, man. I love it. I so love how it. have you been, man? How's everything holding down right now, man? And with this whole coronavirus stuff, how, how, how's it, uh, how's the Harris household doing? You know, I have found myself to be a remarkable social studies teacher, a mediocre lunch lady. I'm pretty good at PE. <laughs> um, we're getting by, you know, like, yeah, uh, like you're experiencing with your kids. It's day by day. It is uh, hands on. And then you find a little bit of time to do your day job in between. And then you get back after it around, you know, we're getting by, but we're having fun. We're, you know, I think you can say getting by and it, it does sound sort of negative and, and tiring, but we are, we're learning a lot through the process, I think, about each other and new rhythms we'd like to incorporate in our lives and our families. So there's been, there's been plenty of good that's come from it. That's good, man. That's good to hear. You know, so, you know, with your, with your company, tell us a little bit about what Radical Mentoring is and, and what you do and, and how you're able to engage with other people. Yeah, I'd love to. So a um, little backstory. When, most, when I say mentoring, most people think about kind of these one-on-one -on -one relationships. You know, you are mentoring me. For some reason, I've reached out and we go sit at a Starbucks and then we sort of awkwardly stare at each other across the table and we sort of wonder, am I supposed to talk? Are you supposed to talk? It's like dating in a lot of ways, the one-on-one -on -one mentoring relationships. And, and if you're a guy that has a heart for that, more than likely you're doing it with me and you might be doing it with 10 or 15 other people all around town because you're a guy that other younger men are drawn to and you have a heart for younger men. Mm -hmm. what, we, what we did and our founder um, just passed away a few months ago, he started mentoring men in a group in 2001. He was kind of Joe Mentor, kind of the guy that was being called on all the time. And he heard a quote that said, more time with fewer people 
is a greater kingdom impact. And so what he realized is he was spreading himself thin, wasn't seeing a lot of fruit from the one-on-one relationships. So he just invited six guys into his house. He pulled some books off of his bookshelf. He copied some scriptures out of his Bible. He took some homework assignments from, you know, books he read and other things and started just pouring his life into a group of men for one year at a time. So you're, you're with him, you're journeying through, you know, you're talking about grace and theology and faith and prayer. Um, you're talking about how it all impacts your marriage and your parenting relationships and in the community. And so you're doing sort of this full journey for a year and then he would end one group and start the next group. So I met him in 2002 um, and uh, we developed both a great mentor mentee relationship and a great friendship. Fast forward to 2010, he started talking to some other Atlanta churches about sort of what mentoring might look like in the context of the churches. Fast forward a little further down the road, he invites me about six years ago now to leave corporate world and come and join him and help him really figure out how do you get this process into the hands of leaders and pastors who, if, you know, if you've been around church world for a while, you know that churches have a hard time engaging men. So let's get, let's get this process. Cause he, he, he mentored about a hundred and, oh gosh, 130, 140 men throughout his lifetime. Um, fast forward to today, we now work with about 370 churches of all shapes and sizes and denominations all across the country. We've seen about 13,000 men come through this process. Um, and it's really just an intentional discipleship strategy and intentional men's ministry strategy and intentional leadership development strategy that churches can use to help take a core group of men who want to go a little deeper who are willing to commit to the process and engage them with an older guy who's got a story to tell, who has got Jesus inside of him, and he wants to pour it out into the lives of younger men and creating something that just allows them to take that journey together. And so it's, um, it's just a huge passion of mine. I'm now leading my fourth group um, on my own. So yeah, that's what, we, that's what we do. We give it all away for free too, by the way. So if uh, you know, if listeners want to take a poke around our website, it's radicalmentoring.com. You don't have to put a credit card in. You can uh, take a look around yourself. Man, that's awesome. It really is. And, and you know, I want to touch a little bit about, you know, especially with the church and how we mentor men, because that's a big deal because there's a lot of stigma, you know, and we hear quite often, especially in the world, you know, they say, you know, about toxic masculinity and all that other, you know, to, to be honest with you, my personal humble opinion is nonsense. You know, either you're going to be a jerk or you're not going to be, you know, or you're not, you know what I mean? It's, it has yeah, nothing to yeah. do with you being masculine. You know, it has really nothing to do with that. Um, you know, even though there's certain traits that you kind of people want to connotate with that, but that's, you know, how do you get to understanding like, you know, what guys, guys are like, man, we're the fixers. We've got to do this. we got, and, and it's really hard to break that shell. And especially me understanding from, from a military standpoint, yeah, there's certain times where, you know, you can't break that shell. So how do you go ahead and yeah. do that especially for men? Story. Creating energy and space for these guys to share stories with each other. The most transformative thing that happens in these groups happens within the first two months where the mentor gets a chance to share his story with his mentees. 
And the way I describe that is it's not, you know, it's not the Sunday school version of your story that is so neat and clean and buttoned up that, you know, pe people will be almost, um, almost in some ways, they may even be not attracted to you because it feels so clean and pretty. It's also not the Saturday night version of your story with your buddies hanging out at the bar, but it's the story, your authentic faith. It's where you screwed up and God showed up. It's your life story. It's your journey. It's your transformation. It's your willingness to say, hey, and here's where I'm still messing up, and here's where God continues to show up. I don't have it all together, but I'm going to take my story, and I'm going to pour it into you guys. So that's right. the first thing that happens. And then we put these guys into what we call a story retreat. So we would encourage these guys to get off site, to go, they can get away for a night somewhere, sit around the campfire on the back porch, and you give men 30 to 45 minutes apiece to share their full stories with each other. And if you can get guys to do that, you will hear more often than not, you know what, Sean, I thought I was the only guy in the world dealing with pornography, alcohol, right. drugs, whatever. I mean, some, some perfectionism, whatever the, the, the words are. But now I know there's you and I know there may be two or three other guys around the circle that are dealing with the same thing. And so once those stories get shared with each other, these guys are going to sign a covenant document that says this is all confidential. So you really sort of, you're, you're a military guy. You're almost creating kind of the, a Navy SEALs, you know, Rangers kind of environment where you're really saying, we're going to, we're going to create some space for, cause you guys are special. And if these guys share their stories with each other, then it just sets the stage for the rest of the time together. So if you're talking about marriage and I'm known by the guys in my group, I can't come back to my meeting and say, gosh, my wife is just doing this again. Cause somebody's going to lean forward and go, you know what, Kevin, this is the second month in a row. You blame your marriage on your wife. You better get your butt in gear. Don't come back next month with the same story. And guys are going to lean in. But if it, it's all about the space for the story and the willingness for guys to be transparent and authentic with each other. And that changes everything which is hard to do in most churches and in most environments. It's not a criticism. It's just really hard to do. Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think that it's hard for, you know, some churches to really sit there and go, Hey man, this is, you know, we got to engage with men more, you know, rather than just kind of doing a blanket thing and saying, Hey, this is for everybody. And, that, and that's great. And that's fine. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with that, you know, cause you, you want to be able, you don't want to feel people, make people feel they're, you know, unwanted or they're kind of out of it. But still you there has to be a general direction in certain things you know like again in the military like you know in the air force you know you have let's say like the jedi worked on the f-16 well it's a multi-role fighter it's still it's a fighter you know what i mean right. it goes right. out but there's specific times where it's strictly a bomber there's a times where it's strictly a an air-to-air -air fighter you know there's times where it's both you know so there's there's those things so how do you get you know why, why do you it. think that is man so i think a couple things i think I mean, we, I talk to a lot of churches, a lot of leaders, a lot of pastors. My team does the same. A lot of churches have given up on men, and a lot of men have given up on the church. And I don't think it's a fault of one or the other. I think some churches have, um, you know, watered down things, and it doesn't, men don't go in there and feel like it's a, you know, I hate to say a manly experience, but they, they feel like church has gotten a little soft and so they don't want to come. And you've got some men who are working so hard and traveling so hard every week that they'd rather go fishing or go 
play golf on the weekend and they're leaving their families just to kind of wallow around and not leading them the way that God's calling them to lead. So in turn, some churches have done some things. They may do events and events are, are great. And they may do a wild game night. You know, I've seen a whole bunch of stuff where it gets guys to come in and it gets them in the door, but is there a next step for them to go? Some will do kind of small, small group kind of, um, Friday morning, grab a chicken biscuit and a cup of coffee. We're going to watch a 15 minute teaching and then we're going to sit around a table. And I, I love Jesus, but I could, when I was at my worst, I could fake my way through any one of those environments and walk away. And you would think Kevin had his stuff together. His thought his marriage was great. Everything was fine. It's when you get these guys into the next phase, which I think, and this look, mentoring is not always going to be the solution but you've got to create a safe place. I think men think the walls of a church have ears. And so they're not going to share some of their worst in, in, a, in a room where they think, you know, I'm going to say this and the pastor's got a video in here and he's going to watch and listen to everything I'm going to say. So, right. you know, men have got issues with, you talked about it earlier, kind of toxic masculinity. I got to put my, be my best all the time, be buttoned up, you know, be whoever it is that I feel like the world's calling me to be. And then churches have got sort of a mentality that, you know, I may not be creating a, an environment that's right for men. And if you get those two, they're, they're just butting into each other. And so you got to create space for these guys to be able to know that it's safe and know that they can be real and bring their worst and be loved more for it. Yeah, I, I agree, man. And it's hard sometimes, man, because, you know, as guys, we don't want to feel like we're vulnerable. But at the same time, when we feel like sometimes we feel like we're vulnerable, we feel like we're that burden. And yeah, yeah. To put that burden on other people that that's not something that we want to do. So kind of we internalize everything, we keep it inside. And then we just kind of just press on and just say, all right, you know, you look, got I'm it. good, you know, I'm ready to roll. But how do you get pastors to help engage these men? Because listen, it's hard. It's, you know, and especially like when guys are dealing with depression and guys are dealing with anxiety, you know, they don't think that those are the manly things to do. Cause you, they're kind of like, right. you know, you hear the word depression, you, you know, even though now it's, it's, uh, it's more widely accepted, you know, but there was a stigma, you know what I mean? Listen, you hear you're depressed. Oh my gosh. You, there's a big problem. I yeah. don't deal with you. you know what I mean? How do you get pastors to yeah. really be able to engage other people because be mentoring it's a, it's a two-way street so how do you, got it. you know yeah. how do you get that um that pastor to say hey man i'm gonna leave this 99 i'm gonna go for this one because he needs me yeah great great question and sometimes pastors don't do it i mean sometimes pastors and this this they're just too busy they've got a message that's coming every week but if they're surrounded if, if it, but most pastors understand that if you can capture the heart of the man, the family comes behind it, the community comes behind it. And most pastors know men inside their church who have got a, will have a real heart for this. Mm -hmm. And so our, my, my, the best churches, I don't say best churches, it's the churches that I work with closely who have embraced this, it's when, Yes, sometimes the pastor is leading mentoring groups and the pastor is being vulnerable and the pastor is lowering the walls and leaning into these guys and sharing his story, which is incredibly scary for a pastor who can probably be, you know, depending on what he's sharing, can, can is kind of putting himself in a real awkward position. Or the pastor said, you know, I know that Sean in my church has a huge heart to do this. I want to help him understand how he can run this ministry 
engage this ministry. I'm going to identify some other men and I'm going to equip him with a process that will help him do that. And I'm going to be his greatest cheerleader because I know if Sean's doing what God's called him to do in the lives of men in our church, then our church is going to come alive. And so it's this kind of this relationship of pastor and lay leader that um, ends up being really critical where, you know, the pastor's got somebody he can, he can tap in and have them come in and be a part of it. And it's important because if you don't have that, that group, if you don't have that circle that, that you can always rely on that, you know, that you can pick out and yeah. say, hey, man, I may not be able to, I don't have that relationship with this guy. Maybe you do, or maybe you can find someone that can and, and really build that up because people need options, man. And, and you know, no even if they, they go to yeah. God, you know, even though God is, is our only option at times, but you know, God provides us with people in our lives to create those options so that way we know what he wants for us and to guide us in the direction he wants us to go. You know what I mean? Got it. So, yeah. you know, and, and in your experience working with these, with these pastors and what do you think is the most prominent thing that, you know, the biggest problem that, that pastors and, and churches face, you know, when they're dealing with this, because again, every situation, every state, there's going to be different, problems are going to be different communities and stuff like that. So, you know, there's, it's always an adapting situation. It's in a, a dynamic environment, if you will. So, you know, what is the biggest issue that some of these pastors face that when they come to you yeah. and say, Hey man, I need help recognizing this, or I, I want to transform my church into being more of, in this way. You know, what's the biggest issue that you come across? I see a couple things. I mean, you senior pastors, um, the one, some that I know, it, it can be an incredibly lonely job, one. And so sometimes they are a level of disconnect from what's happening inside the church. Some senior pastors would define their discipleship strategy from what they're saying in the pulpit on Sunday mornings. And, that, and that's just because they've got so much going on. I think you've got a lot of church staff that are spread extremely thin. I think we're probably even seeing that right now, specifically with all the virus stuff going on. Mm -hmm. um, you've got church staff spread thin and they may have a discipleship pastor who, who's, you know, doubling down as the women's pastor and the group's pastor. And so some churches have just written off men because they haven't been able to have figured out the formula to engage men. So I think those are some things that are, are that kind of globally, I think, have, have make it a little more challenging. Um, to just get things going. And I think there's an issue, I think, and we chatted about it a little bit, there's an issue that um, sometimes men aren't responding to things. So, you know, if they're offering something for men, whether it be a small group or a discipleship group or whatever it might be, I think men are wearing a ton of masks. They're wearing these masks that they just think they work everywhere else, but I don't know if I can show up at church and take that mask off. And so right. there's, you, there's just, there's the, a pressure point of, you know, either you're going to, men are going to get so desperate that they're going to try a lot of things. And then they may be, you know, they may show up at church and that may be their last straw and they find an environment that works or the church is going to say, here's some different environments. The church is going to identify some guys who are a little further down the road, elder type men, who would love to, they would love to mentor. The biggest challenges we often hear is I want to mentor, but I don't have any curriculum to use and I don't know any younger guys. Mm -hmm. And the church is oftentimes has older men with stories to tell and younger men who want to be mentored 
and this is almost like a way to get them in these groups together, helping them sort of form you. The church helps form the groups and the mentors run the process. Yeah. It's, you know, to really bridge that gap there. I mean, that, and that's, and I see that a lot too, honestly, and, and not just in churches and other businesses and stuff like that, you know, where you have these guys with Uber and gobs of experience, but then you have like these young fireballers who just, they, they, they have a heart for servitude. They, they really have that knack to be able to teach and, and, and you know, have people follow them because they have that charisma, you know, but they don't have the quote unquote, the credibility. You know, that, you, you know, it. that these guys, the older guys have, and, and to be able to bridge that gap, that's really key. So what are some of the ways that you can bridge that gap? What are some of the ways that somebody can even do it just, you know, in their home? So, you know, you have a guy that just, he's trying to look for a church. He's trying to look for certain things, you know, trying to do that. What does he look for? What, what do they look for? How do they bridge that gap? Yeah. Yeah. So, there, I mean, there's a... Um, there's a process that works sort of in a test tube that, you know, is really clean and neat and comes together. And then there's the real life kind of process that you oftentimes find yourself in of I'm at a place where I'm sort of at rock bottom and I'm reaching for somebody to, who was willing to pour into me. And that's sort of the real world scenario. So, you know, in, in sort of the, the test tube, you know, sterile environment where things work kind of step by step by step, you would invite men to be a part of a process. You would tell them that you're going, you're looking for guys who are willing to devote three hours of time a month for meetings and willing to read books in between and homework assignments and scripture memory. You're going to want your, you're going to ask for a certain type of guy who's willing to do that. Some men are going to self-select out of that environment and go, that's just not the right place for me. I can't do that in this age and stage of life. The church is going to have some mentors and then you're going to form these groups and you're going to equip the mentors with the process that they can then start to work through these mentoring groups with these guys. That's sort of the, you know, step one, step two, step three, kind of a process. In the case of, you know, the guy who is looking for someone to pour his life in or looking either looking for somebody to pour into his own life. That is just understanding that you can't find somebody to mentor. You can't see the goodness of God. You can't appreciate the, the, all the things that you've got going for you if you're walking around with your head down all the time. Right. And I think a lot of guys do that or they put the masks on and they're, they, they've convinced everybody around them that everything's good. And at some point, you know, the pressure cooker is going to blow um, and you want to get to it before that happens. And so, Sometimes you got to have your eyes up. You got to know, recognize somebody. You just got to man up enough to step up and say, Hey, Sean, I'd love to go grab a coffee with you and hear your story. Yeah. And, and just because you're going to find men who have a heart to do this will respond to, Hey, let me, I want to hear your story, which just opens up a place for then you to go ahead and share your story with somebody else. And it's really just the experience of somebody a little further down the road who's humble enough to know they don't have all the answers, but it recognizes the goodness of God in their story. And they just want to pour that out so that somebody else can catch it. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and that's, that's a really, dude, that's, it's really deep. That's really, it's true. You know, because, you know, 
we, we do put on these masks and we put on all these different types of masks, you know, whether it's, you know, we're at work, we're trying to be the, the funny guy, or we're trying to be, you know, the, the quiet one, or we're just trying to be just trying to get through the day and, and this, that, and a third, because there's so many things that we may be thinking about or we're not happy with, or that we're trying to, again, we're embarrassed by, you know, like, you know, Hey, pornography is a big one. Pornography is a no big, big deal. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I am, I'm absolutely guilty of that too, you know, and that is something that, you know, we struggle with daily, you know, then you have all different types of other abuses and things like that. And then, like you said, like that pressure cooker comes and then that's when you, we see like these high rates of suicide or, or, right. you know, domestic abuse or things like that. You know, when, when we get these guys in this room and we get them to, to like, pour their heart out and they feel safe now it's the it's time to start rebuilding you got it how do we what's the first step to rebuilding and understanding that they don't have to reinvent themselves per se but there it's time to lay a different foundation especially a foundation with the lord and and you know and very trying to be christ-like what's that first step so we would recommend, and I think this makes a bunch of sense, is you get guys to start looking at their identity, but looking at their identity, not through the eyes of the world, but understanding their identity as God sees them, helping them understand that they are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God has a plan, that he knows the numbers of hairs on our head. You may not have any hair on your head underneath that hat of yours. I don't know. Oh, no, I do. I do. Okay, I, good. I just got it, though. I just did. Gotcha. All right. Helping Basic guys training. understand, <laughs> right, that core identity that, you know, you may be approved at work one day and fired the next day. Your wife may love you one day and be really frustrated with you the next day, but God's heart for you never changes. God's view of you never changes. So getting men to understand that identity is so critical. Then you help them understand grace and you help them understand what it's like to have the free gift of grace and letting that be the perspective by which you view other relationships. You help men understand prayer. I mean, man, men, all these guys come to these groups with that baggage around prayer oftentimes because they just, they don't really know how to do it. So you, you help, you model for them. How do you have an authentic prayer life with your heavenly father that doesn't involve, thank you for this day and doesn't involve help me in my test and my project. And it's all about me and, and self-centered and focused. You help them understand that you help them learn how to pray for other people and pray with their wives. Then you get them to start thinking about things like, how does this impact my marriage? How does my newfound, not newfound, often guys in these groups have a faith. They would say they're a Christian. How do they, as you said, re, rebuild it, take them back to that true core identity. How does that flow into my marriage? And then how does that flow into how I'm raising my kids? How am I modeling biblical leadership and biblical manhood for my sons? If you can get them to sort of get the foundation really firm then everything else starts to pour out of them and they see, how do I be a Christian in the workplace? I, you know, I, before doing this, I was in the traveling sales world. And so I had a really hard time. I would show up in a city for a week, traveling every week and I have a corporate credit card. And I knew I was in a tension of having to do something to impress the people that I'm working with. Oftentimes it could conflict a little bit with who I knew I was in Jesus. And how do I take my faith 
and have strong convictions and then go back to my job where some, there's a tension around those convictions that I might have. And how do I do my job well as a follower of Christ without, without leaving you know, a trail of baggage behind me from the, this town so I go to the next one? And so helping them understand that and then setting them up to say, now identify where your heart for ministry is. Where do you want to give back to somebody? And then you set them up and get them prepared to go lead somewhere else, but lead as God has designed them to be. Amen. You know, one of the things I did, especially when I was, you know, in the military, the the big deal, the big thing that I always harped on was um, about, you know, being a leader is always setting your people up for success and to give them all the tools that they need to succeed. So, you know, when we have these guys and, and they're being rebuilt they're going to get bombarded by other people out there, especially who aren't believers and saying, you know what, dude, you know, who do you think you are? You know, what do you, they're going to throw that stuff out there. They're going to try and change them. And they're going to say, well, you know, and, and, and it's always that straw man argument. Well, in the Bible, it says that you're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to eat pork, whatever, all this other stuff. And, and they're just throwing it out there to try to trip them up. You know, how do we get them to understand that these people are, for whatever reason, they're just trying to either break them down for whatever their personal agenda is and to keep them focused as a disciple. I think the one really important thing is rem reminding yourself that that other person is created in the image of God and to love and respect the other person. Because I think what gives Christians a bad name all around the country and around the world is we decide rather than love that person who was attacking me, I'm just going to attack that person back with my, my newfound beliefs and my newfound religion. And then it ends up driving people apart. I, I love this idea that, you know, if you take an argument of, you know, somebody's arguing some point of faith with you and that's, you know, they're putting that's their, you know, their line in the sand Well, you can't explain this to me. If you can explain to them that, look, this is, I was here, Jesus showed up and my life has changed and now I'm here. People cannot argue your transformation story. They can argue theology all day long and they can find little holes and gaps and well, did they really find the ark in the ground or were there really two animals that, you know, whatever the different things are, people can argue, but they can never argue with what Jesus did in your life and how Jesus continues to change you day after day after day. And if you love them first, without judgment, love them as somebody who was created in the image of God, just like you were, and then model for them. Christians should be the best employees. They should be the happiest employees in the world. They should be the best neighbors. They should be the best husbands and wives. They should be leading in their communities because Jesus died on a cross Amen. and said, go out and do it for other people. Amen. So Christians should be leading that way. But oftentimes we, we try to win some head argument when, when it's, it's a heart issue. Right. And if we can talk from our heart and we can talk about what God has done, then people will begin to see what, what your life looks like, not necessarily what you know. Yeah. It you know, there's, there's a lot of truth to that. Absolutely. You know, because, you know, we'll, we'll tend to react with our emotions rather than kind of, you know, taking a step back and say, Hey man, 
all right, I get it. You may not understand it. You don't, and it's okay that you don't yeah. understand it. That that's fine. But you know, you don't really, and then you just react in that anger, you know, saying, Hey, right. stop pulling me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know, it's, we really have to be mindful of understanding how we react because, yeah. and we got to be curious. Sure. Sure. And you know what, there's, there's a lot of ways to be, you know, the, the Bible calls us to have righteous anger, but not to be angry, to go and hurt people. Listen, right. Jesus went to the temple, started flipping tables. You know what I mean? He's not flipping tables because, you know, he wants to be on, uh, you know, Real Housewives of New Jersey or anything like that. <laughs> you know, he, 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 he was, he was upset. You know what I mean? He was pissed. You know, you know, you're going to come in and defile my house and, you know, but he didn't go and take it out on them and saying, you know, condemning all of them. You right. know, he went and said, Hey, you listen, this is wrong. You know, you can't do this and it's okay to be upset. So how do we get guys to not, because we're emotional too, you know, we're emotional, whether we want to, whether we want to admit it or not, and whether we want to, you know, keep it on our sleeves or, you know, show it on our sleeves or whatever. But, you know, how do we get guys from not being so emotional? I think you got to get them to be known. And you got to, you know, you've got to, if somebody's coming at you from a p position of emotion or anger or, um, you know, doubt in what you believe, you've got to increase your curiosity and begin to try to understand where that person's coming from. Right. Empathy is huge. Putting, you know, trying to put yourself in their shoes, trying to put yourself in their, their position, understanding their, their story, understanding their history is a huge part of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that should be our first step is to try to be empathetic to their, their specific story so that you know, potentially what you're going through, why they're coming to you from the position that they're in. Yeah. They may have grown up in some uber fundamental church and they were told every weekend that if you did this and you did this and you did this, then you were going to go to hell. And that's not, you know, they just decided at some point they were never going to engage in that kind of a relationship like that again. If you know that, then you can begin to share from a position of understanding what Jesus has done for you and how that's changed your life and how you, it broke you from a religion and brought you to a relationship with him. You can then have that conversation, but if you don't know where they're coming from, then it's going to be really hard to do that. You know, one of the last thing I want to talk about, because, you know, one of the things that you're, you, you hit on is, um, you know, disciple making strategies and, mm -hmm. you know, we're all called to be disciples. And not many people understand what it means to be a disciple. You know, when some people, especially guys, you know, you, you hear the word disciple, you tend to think about, you, you know, that, you know, the 12 disciples, you know about all that stuff, but you also kind of think in modern times, you're like, am I going to be a Kung Fu master? You know what I mean? Right. Be, you right. know what I mean? So, you know, what's the, how do you explain that to understand people that as a disciple, you, you, you don't have to be perfect. Right. But you have to follow this and you, you're just as much as a student as a teacher. So yeah. how, how do you get that? What are some of the strategies that you help uh, men, you know, and, and other churches and pastors, you know, develop to help develop their disciples? Yeah. One of the things we do talk about is the words we use matter. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm a, you know, a cultural Christian sort of, you know, I, I've, I've got an underlying belief of what it means to, to follow Jesus, but my life may not reflect that. If I'm asked to be discipled, 
that feels like a really big hurdle for some. Right. But if I'm at, if you're asking to be in a mentoring relationship, mentoring and disciple making mentorship and discipleship are really the exact same thing in the, in the, in the, in the, from the place of you're just trying to take what you've learned and pour it into somebody else. Sometimes men may respond better to mentoring than they will respond better to disciple discipleship only because it gives them a little more culturally relevant word that they can relate more to. Mm-hmm. So I think oftentimes churches love church language and they like to use big haughty religious words like, like discipleship and come join my discipleship course. And for a lot of guys that can be really intimidating because they think if you knew what my life was like inside the four walls of my house, you would never invite me into a discipleship course. But if somebody says, Hey, here's my story. And I wanted you to journey with me for a year. And I just want to get you engaged with a group of other men. And we're going to read some books and we're going to memorize some scripture and we're going to do some really practical assignments um, that will help you understand how to be better at home. And then we're going to get together and we'll talk about those things. And it's going to be a mentoring relationship where you're going to be mentored by me and you'll be mentored by the other guys in the group. Something about that feels like it's a, a better next, a safer next step. And so I think you've got to be real, you know, You've got to have, I'm not, now, by the way, I'm not telling all churches to change titles from discipleship pastor to mentorship pastor. I mean, I don't think that's, mentoring is not the answer for everything, but I think it is a piece of the solution that may help you reach more men who are hungrier to learn more and better understand their identity in Christ. And I think mentoring is a way to do that. Yeah, I, I, you know, mentoring is, has to be, in my personal opinion, mentoring has to be part of the solution. because. You know, you have to be able to, part of mentoring is, is being able to communicate with other people and be able to communicate with other things and communicate differently because everybody communicates, does communicate differently. So mentoring has to be part of that, but understanding what mentoring truly is, that's where I think, you know, a lot of things have to, you know, that's when it all comes together. You know what I mean? That's when you, when you understand that. So, you know, as we close this up, man, my final question to you is this. So, you know, as guys, we always want to be remembered as something, you know, I, I, one of my favorite quotes is Bruce Lee, you know, he sat there and, uh, you know, he's, he, if people don't really understand Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee, besides being a, you know, a fantastic martial artist and probably considered the greatest martial artist ever and the father of, you know, uh, MMA and stuff like that. Um, he was a huge philosopher. He was a great philosopher. This man was a voracious reader. One of his philosophies and, and one of his, uh, what he said was, the key to immortality is first living a life worth remembering. And that resonates with a lot of men because we want to live a life that we want to be remembered. We want to be that guy that when you open up that history book, says your name right there. Or you want to be a part of a group that has it there and you know that that's going to be you know, a direct correlation with what you did and what your life is and to kind of give you meaning. So I'm asking you as we close this up, what is your meaning of legacy, your definition of legacy, and how do you help other men define their own legacy? Yeah, great question. So here's what I would say. I would say if you look at your life and more than likely there are 
there are two roles in your life that you are playing that nobody else can play. And that is going to be a husband to your wife and a father to your kids. And, and obviously you're, you're a, you're a son of the, of the King as well. Put priority on those relationships and those roles that you play that only you can play, make those relationships the priority. And, and really begin to think about your life in terms of I'm going to invest my time and my talents first in the, in the people that matter the most in the places that I can make the most impact. And I can guarantee you it is in the four walls of your own home. And if you do that really well and you honor Jesus throughout, you're going to have a legacy that will be, you may not be the richest guy in the world, you may, may not have the business card that says president or CEO, but you're going to be fully known and fully loved by God and by the people closest to you. So I would say, you know, you got to think about that. And then in terms of helping guys define their legacy, challenge men to sit down and write their obituary. That's deep, man. Have them sit down and just put some words around. What is it going to look like at the end? What do you want your wife to say about you at your funeral? What do you want your kids to say about you at your funeral? What do you want your neighbors to say about you? You know, it's the old Stephen Covey, begin with the end in mind. And you can start that if you're 25 or if you're 75. You can make that shift and start to think differently today. There is no, I've already come too far. I can't go back and repair those relationships. Write your obituary and think about what you want your life to look like and then begin to shift priorities around that. And you'll be, man. you'll be a different person. Man, that's, that's dude, that's deep, man. Because a lot of guys, they don't want to write their obituary because it gives a, a finality, if you will, you know what right. I mean? But it also, it's a, it's a culture shock, man. I mean, who wants to, you know, write their obituary and say, Oh man, this is, you know, that's, that's, that's scary stuff, man. It's, you know, yeah. it's, but it, but it puts things in perspective and that's a great way of doing that. That's, that's, that's pretty awesome. Honestly, that's pretty awesome. Well, Kevin, dude, thanks again, man, dude, this was a great conversation. I enjoyed it. Me I, too. I enjoyed Let's it. do it again. Absolutely, man. I'm definitely going to have you on again, man. And, you know, and tribe, we're going to have all of his, all of Kevin's resources. It's going to be in the show notes, how to get in with him, especially going to radicalmentoring.com. And I, I highly, highly stress this, especially if you guys out there, if you're going through something difficult, especially now, you know, this is the time to really reach out because there are avenues just like, you know, radical mentoring, you know, to be able to go out there and be in a safe place. You know, there, there's no shame in, in being able to be emotional or just show and, and, and expose that nerve as scary as that is. But this is the, the point where you have to reinvent yourself. But also when you re expose that nerve, you're exposing it to God and you know, letting God, you know, strengthen it and cover it. Because listen, man, the bodies are a perfect machine. And, and if there's anything that God can do he can heal anything and he can do everything so you know and you might just find your purpose so you know I, I encourage everybody to go out there and do that so kevin dude thanks again brother i appreciate it and we're definitely going to be doing this again I'm definitely going to have you back on the show and that'd be uh, fun yeah yeah maybe even do like a, a live and have some uh some guys come on in and, and ask questions so let's so do it that'd be a great thing so so dude god bless you man stay safe man and i really appreciate you being here and again tribe be blessed but most importantly, be that blessing. Until next time, guys.